Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Pair Program, this show that brings together two technologists from the startup world to tackle topics at the intersection of technology and career growth. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, and my co-host, Mike Gruen. Let's get into it. Um, Becca, Johnny, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so as you know, this is The Pair Program. We like two of everything here. So let's just kick things off with a few uh, pairing hot takes. Um, I'll begin you know, something that I, you know, takes me back to my childhood. Um, used to love always putting together macaroni and cheese with ketchup. Uh, not your normal mixing, but at the same time, adds a little bit of extra flavor to that or hot sauce. But ketchup tends to be uh, something that I've, I've always thrown in just to add flavor. Has anybody partaken in this before? Sounds terrible. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> a different source of flavor, maybe. Ketchup feels lazy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lazy. Oh, I like it. <laughs> you know, you can't go wrong. Uh, Mike, let me let me guess. What are you going to go with? So, in honor of the the t shirt I'm wearing, uh, my my Joan Jett and the Black Hearts t shirt. Uh, for those watching the video, uh, I'm going with female vocalists and uh, punk or metal music. Uh, you know, I'm a big uh, Riot Girl fan and. Uh, just, I think it's it's an underrated genre, and uh, there's just something to it. Solid. Respect. Thanks. Johnny, Johnny, what you got? I'm going to go safe, peanut butter and jelly. And the only reason is because I have a really dark sense of humor, and I really want this to be able to be played out loud at someone's office. So I'm just going <laughs> to stick there. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You going uh, crunchy or creamy? Definitely creamy. Creamy is really the only option. That's the only option. Yeah. Becca, how about yourself? Mine feels a little random, although maybe less random after uh, what Mike shared. Mine is actually uh, Miley Cyrus and cover songs. So Mm. I'm a huge Miley Cyrus fan. Her original songwriting could, uh, could use some work, but I think she does some amazing covers uh especially uh some some rock covers uh so yeah big fan of that Do you have any favorites yeah uh i would say recently the one that's been getting a lot of airtime is uh her cover uh with metallica of nothing else matters it's really good she's she's got this deeper voice now which is i think a perfect fit for that um Mm -hmm. But also really like um, earlier this year, she did uh, Zombie, which is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. And uh, going back a bit further, a version of uh, Summertime Sadness by Lena Del Rey, which, again, she just nails it. So that's classic. Did she ever do a Joan Jet cover? She I think she actually featured Joan Jet on her last album. Okay. Don't don't hold me to that. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a yeah. music critic podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need our producers to fact check that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think so. Good stuff. All right, deja vu. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna stream right into the uh, the actual meat of the episode here. So, 
Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be dissecting the unique relationship between product teams and engineering teams within startup environments. Uh, a lot to unwrap here. And uh, to be honest, honest with you, it's such a broad topic that we'll likely have several follow-up episodes on this subject alone. Uh, given we only have about 40 minutes here, uh, I thought it made sense to keep it a little bit more higher level. Uh, we can start by just defining some of the roles here. And Johnny, you'll take you know, our, our engineering perspective. Becca, mm -hmm. take our product perspective. Uh, Johnny, let's start with you. You know, how do you define the role of the engineering team? Where that kind of plays within the startup? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as you might imagine, you know, not all startups are, you know, equal. You know, you have everything from, you know, pre-series A, just, you know, maybe 20 people to, you know, like series D, quote unquote, startups. Um, but I think that, you know, if you take Till, for example, we're still pretty early in our life cycle. And so I think that engineers are probably best thinking about, you know, the how, um, not to say that there's a, you know, a border and a hard line between product and engineering in terms of what versus how, but I think that if you, you know, hire the right folks, uh, then they'll be very, very focused on how to solve your problems. Bringing problems to the table is probably going to be best suited for engineering teams and just kind of giving them the autonomy and the latitude to kind of solve those problems. You know, given whatever constraints you have, you know, we're never doing anything in a vacuum. But I think that's probably, you know, the best way to think about it moving forward. Becca, how do you feel, uh, I guess, the, the product team, where that plays in? Yeah, I would say it's similar uh, in terms of like it varies a lot depending on the type of organization. And I think, you know, Johnny's point's a good one around stage. I also think it really depends on just your leadership and, and in some cases kind of your founding team. Right. And mm -hmm. I think the thing with product that's really challenging is you have some leaders that bring in product teams and really empower them to figure out what uh, you know, what to build. And then I think you have a lot of leadership out there that has a very strong idea of that themselves. Um, and so I think that can really influence kind of what role the product team plays and how much they spend time on discovery work and really talking to users and understanding what to build and not just what, but sometimes like why. I think that's an important mm -hmm. part of it too. Mm -hmm. um, versus getting pulled more into the how, like Johnny said, and really just working a lot more with the engineering team on the specifics of the solution. Um, and so I think sometimes that can create, if you have leadership that's spending too much time in that area, that can kind of like condense everybody in the how. And I think that's where things can get a little bit tricky. Um, because then I think you sometimes get product teams that function a little bit more in that like project management space versus kind of what I would call like real product, um, doing more mm -hmm. of that discovery work. So yeah, it can be very fluid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think when I think about it, right. I'm, both teams are working together like collaboratively mm -hmm. to solve basically, you know, we're, we're trying to produce the, the product. We're building the thing that's going to you know drive revenue. And so, yep. They work together and then, right, where that where those lines are, who's responsible for design, like UI design or graphic design or whatever, you know, maybe not graphic, but um, and then who's responsible for like user experience and flow. And then 
the why and the how and all that. And then, right, you add in sort of leadership, like executive level. There's, you know, visionary leaders who they know what they want built. And now it's really product's job to sort of take that vision. And it's more of an execution mindset of how to take that vision out of the founder's head or the leader's head and sort of communicate that effectively to the engineering team in a way that is not too specific or whatever. And, and, and I think, right, depending on the stage, depending on the people that you have in the organization, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of flow. And I think that's where there's the most conflict is when like you have a visionary leader and a visionary product person, and now they're just bumping right. heads all the time rather than mm-hmm. maybe pairing things up or similarly, a really technical product manager who really does understand the like how um, working with an engineer who's like, stop telling me how to do my job. I know what I'm doing. Just tell me what problem I need to solve. And that's, that's usually where the conflicts arise is when there's two people with very similar skill sets trying to solve the same problem in different mm-hmm. ways or, or, or not, you know, and it can be collaborative that it doesn't have to be yeah. a hostile conflict. It could be a collaborative conflict, if you will, but healthy yeah. tension and friction. But I think that's yeah. sort of how I think about it. I'm curious, you guys, I, I just sort of preached there for a little bit, but I'm curious what your, your thoughts are. <laughs> No, that's uh, I think that's that's really spot on. I mean, you know, especially when you start to drill down and thinking about the individual. Right. I've worked with some product managers who were like so technical. If you didn't know they were a product manager and just listen to them talk about certain aspects of the product, like they sound like they could be an engineer. Right. And vice versa. Some engineers are so product minded. You know, it's not until they actually start talking about code that you realize, oh, they're a software engineer. They're not actually part of sort of like the product team. And so. Sometimes there's a mismatch there, right, where you have more of a product minded software engineer who is expecting certain things from the product person who is maybe just more on the technical side, maybe doing more of a project management uh, job. And so neither one of them are really getting what they want. And so there could be a little bit of tension there, but they're both really good at their jobs, just like, a you know, not quite a good alignment of skill sets. Would you you say like a. You know, as far as engineers go, it's easier to find, you know, front end engineers that are going to be more product minded than like, you know, back end engineers that are a little bit more behind the scenes, not as product savvy or is it kind of across the board? You know, I hesitate to say that only because in and this is just based on my experience. Um I could see why, you know, that would be something that a lot of people would think, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, maybe I'm just like really fortunate to just know some of the engineers that I know, but I know like backend engineers who like, you know, wrangle data all the time, who are very, very in tune with the product and what it's doing, you know, who it's, um, what, what problems it's trying to solve, who are the personas, like these are like very uh, good conversations to have with these particular folks, but also like, you know, some front engineers, particularly if they're like more on the junior side, they may not have a strong grasp on the product problem to be solved, but they know the specific tasks in the project that they're working on. And so I could see a correlation as people get more maybe senior in their career, but I don't see that play out maybe nearly as acutely as other people do. I I, I 100% agree. I I don't think it has to do with where you are in the stack as much as where you are in your career. I'm I'm curious, mm-hmm. Becca, if you if you would mm-hmm. also agree with that, or feel free to fight me. I that's fine. No, I I would <laughs> agree with that. I mean, in my experience, I mean, at Procurated right now, um, we have a team of full stack engineers, and I would say that they're like 
willingness and enthusiasm to be involved in the product development process and, and working so closely with the product team is more about um, just kind of personality and also like who we hire for. And we're mm-hmm. very intentional mm-hmm. to find, um, you know, we, we don't really want to hire an engineer that's like, oh, I'm, I'm good. Just kind of tell me what to do and I'll go do it. Like we want a team that will think really critically about what we're building and is it the right thing for us to be building. And um, so I think, yeah, it really depends on uh, whether or not you're intentional about that when you're hiring. I think that's actually a great point. I think that's something that is pretty common in the growth. You know, when you're like startups and growth stage companies is that's the type of people you're looking for, especially early on is who can, who can sort of bridge that. And I think um, I'm curious, Becca, like what's your experience? Like, so with the, the sort of conflict that sort of inherently comes from that, because now you have a product person saying, Hey, this is the problem I think that we should be solving. Um, here's here's the and then you have engineers who maybe don't agree with that and think that, you know, and 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 so now I you can sort of see where this can get a little yeah. tension. And I'm curious, you know, especially at a growth stage, what your experience with that is. Yeah. I would say um my like hot take on uh, <laughs> all of that, if I can oh, uh, brand it that way, is that. I think the thing that people don't acknowledge that often is like that friction is actually a really good thing. And Mm -hmm. it is so much easier. Like if you have these perfectly defined roles and it's like you do this and you do that. And like we all just kind of like hand things off, build what somebody tells us to build. Like that's easier, like 100 percent, I think. But I don't think you can actually build innovative products that way. And so I think like where the good stuff happens is where there's that overlap where you do have product and engineering thinking about the problem and like really challenging one another on it. And I think that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And that's why people sometimes shy away from it because it is easier to just not do that. Um, But I think that that's not how you get to the right answer. And I think part of that is, and I agree because when I think of, um, I've drawn this diagram almost every company I've worked at to sort of describe like engineering and products relationship and then and products relationship with the rest of the company, which is product and engineering mm-hmm. are like two cogs that have to like sort of intermesh um, for those who are just listening and can't see my hands. I apologize. <laughs> um, but then you have um, uh, and then product also has like all these rubber bands, if you will, or, or whatever you want to call them to, to the belts to the rest of the organization because there also has to be tension with sales and marketing and that's what's going to mm-hmm. make the engine flow yeah. but right it's that friction that um that healthy friction um between engineering and product that really make everything work and and i think i totally agree with the like you can't build anything really meaningful if, if in a way if, if nobody's being challenged and there's no challenge i think part of that and it's something i hire for is open-mindedness and the idea that yep. like we're just trying to solve a problem. We're just pitching mm-hmm. ideas. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. We're just trying to build better ideas on top yep. of what each other's doing. And I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, I feel like personality traits are something that you got to kind of dial in on, right? If you if you hire up maybe engineers that are looking for that power struggle and, and less uh, inclined to collaborate or, or get direction from product at times, it could be that, that bad friction that you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. For context, I'm I'm curious, um, Becca, what is the size of Procurated and um, the the size of the engineering teams and the product teams from a headcount? Yeah, so right now we're around 25 people total. 
Um, and we have uh, four engineers, two product managers, and a UX designer that are um, kind of working, we're all working together pretty closely. And is there um, like a chief technology officer or was the founder technical in nature? Or I guess, how did that, that form? It's actually a great question. Um, so the short answer is no. Um, we, uh, our founder is more, his experience is kind of in our industry, um, mm-hmm. in the world of public procurement. Um, and when he hired me, I was actually the first person brought on board. Um, and that was very meaningful to me to know that the first hire at the organization would be someone um, product focused. Um, and so initially when we got started, we were actually working with a team of engineers that we were contracting with, um, which worked out really well because we were co-located in a WeWork space. And so like it wasn't it wasn't maybe that typical relationship where we were like throwing things over the fence to them. Like it was probably more collaborative than most uh, you know, contractor relationships might be. Um, and then we kind of just hired and built our own team out of that. So um, one of our engineers, um, she moved over from that contract team to join our team um, and then have just hired um, our kind of full stack mid to senior level engineers um, to round out that team. So we actually don't really have anyone at the leadership level uh, of the company that is, um, you know, has a, an engineering background. Um, so I think it's a bit of a, a unique setup, but um, has worked for us. Uh, we're in the process right now of uh, starting to recruit for a director of engineering because um, I do think that it's important to um, one have that technical voice at the leadership level. Um, and just someone that can um, be a great manager for our current team. So um, that's happening now. But yeah, I think we're we're kind of unique in in how our how we evolved um, in staffing out that team. So you were the the first hire on the technical team was a pro- a product hire. Yeah, uh, Johnny. What about your situation um, at Till? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. We're about 34, 35 ish people today. By the time people listen to this engineering team will be at 12 people, I think. Um, product will be at four folks, I think at that point. Um, let's see. When I first came on board, there were a few people there. Um, we hadn't hired anyone on the product side yet. Um, and so we kind of grew engineering first, kind of, you know, a little bit of the opposite actually took us a long time to find uh, a really good product manager, like a long time, way longer than we wanted to. Um, and so we started with, um, engineers who were like very product focused and wanted to sort of like have a voice at that table. And so that's kind of where we grew our strength there. So we have pretty product, uh, strong product minded, uh, engineers. And then we eventually did find our current VP of product, uh, Karen Ellenberger and was able to kind of grow a product organization, um, based on her leadership. And so we eventually did get there, but it was by way of growing the technical side first and then bringing on product um, as we were able to do so. Yeah, I think it's interesting how hard it is to find a really good product person. I think that's, mm-hmm. um, especially head of product, I think that's a, a theme uh, throughout my career. Um, not to say that I've, you know, I've worked with great mm-hmm. ones. I've worked with, you know, some others that haven't maybe been as great. Um, it, it's definitely um, a challenge. I think it's a challenging role. I'm curious, you know, like um, Becca, like how 
how do you sort of define success? Like what, like, how do you, how do you know if you're being successful in product? Like in engineering, it's a little bit easier and sales, it's a little easier. Mm -hmm. I I feel like product, it's a harder, harder Mm -hmm. role. I'm curious what your thoughts are. What's interesting is you described that. I started to think a little bit about almost this like chicken and egg problem of, I think part of the reason it's hard to find good product people is that sometimes the people hiring for that role don't actually know like what that means, right? right. Or like what kind of product person would be a good fit for their role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's there within the product function. I think product leaders have lots of different strengths. Um, you do have those product leaders, I think, that have really great fundamentals when it comes to the discovery work and, you know, user research and um, kind of testing and and that kind of thing. And then you have product leaders that maybe have um, been closer on kind of the build side of things and are um, a little bit more um, just like used to working very closely with engineering teams. And um, so, yeah, I think there's just, there's so much variance that, um, and and I think that's part of, if you're interviewing as a, a product person looking for a leadership role, um, having a level of self-awareness to know kind of where you fall on that spectrum and therefore what a good fit would be for you. And then like really asking smart questions about that during an interview process. Um, and, you know, even if there's a company that you're super excited about and really want to work for, just being honest with yourself of like, are you the right kind of product person for that company based on kind of your assessment of, of what that organization really needs? Um, but yeah, I think there's, there is a lot of like self-awareness uh, that is required on all parts um, to really find that right fit. I think that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. I actually, as you were talking, as even thinking back over like the, the product managers who maybe I thought were not as, as good, but it really is that they were just not as good a fit. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we had a visionary CEO yep. who wanted to find a visionary product person because he wanted to defer the vision, but it was like, no, that's, that's exactly not the, right. That's, yeah. right. What yeah. we need is a different type of product manager, you know, a, head, a different yeah. type of head of product. And I think, um, so yeah, I'd like to retract my earlier statement. Maybe, uh, it was just more about mismatch as opposed to how good or bad they were at their job and more yep. about how good or bad they were fitting the organization and the organizational needs. I think that's a excellent point and, and about self-awareness. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think Becca hit the, the nail on the head. One of the things we talked about super early on at Till when we were thinking about this, sure, it was a matter of like, you know, what makes a good product manager, but, you know, product managers have been different at every company I've been at. And so the thing that we really honed on was, you know, what makes a good product manager at Till, mm-hmm. right? What does a Till product manager look like? Like what, what, what does success look like for that person? And it's, it's so different at all the different organizations, depending on, you know, how technical you need folks to be to kind of, to Becca's point or visionary or strategic, um, and companies with multiple different products, you need like different types of product managers to kind of, you know, build out those products, right? Sometimes if, if it's a more established product, you know, maybe you just need someone to kind of just keep the ship going, right? Or if it's someone who need, who is like literally building out a new market, right? You need that more visionary strategic hire to be able to kind of go out and sort of, uh, you know, build in that greenfield. So it really, it's highly use case dependent. 
Right. Yeah, we've, we've spoken to a guest uh, on the podcast previously who's a, a product leader and he's very dialed in from the seed to series A stage. Like that's his sweet mm-hmm. spot. And he knows that a good product person isn't, isn't too, um, is very aware of knowing when to fire themselves almost of like going to the leadership and saying, look, we've already found product market fit. You know, I was, I was really dialed in here. We're doing user research. You need somebody different at this next stage. And it's you know, no hard feelings. It's not like, you know, I couldn't maybe do the job, but there's somebody that really knows how to do it at that stage. That's going to be mm-hmm. better than me. Um, and that was a, an interesting spot because I feel like that is a very unique use case tied to a, a role, like product mm-hmm. management role. Yeah. I mean, I think that the same applies in engineering as well. I think there's engineers who really hit a sweet spot, like at an early stage company who have this sort of capability of doing everything. um, And they really Mm -hmm. enjoy that sort of full coverage type stuff and Mm -hmm. the sort of get it done. And then, you know, as the organization grows, your needs change. And I think that that's an important part, whether you're in engineering or product or wherever you are in a small company as it grows, um, that at some point, the role that you most enjoy might not really be there or the role that you're you're best suited for might not really be at the company anymore because there's been there's there's just new needs now right you they don't yeah. they don't need that um but i think that that self-awareness um super important mm. yeah so as far as like roles being defined you know it's safe to to say i guess product managers kind of equal the the why and the what um you know engineering team kind of the how the product team serving as a a way to empower like the engineering team to understand why they're building what they're building and, and who they're helping. Um, but how about, you know, how that all comes together, you know, um, collaboration tips on, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Any specific uh, examples that come to mind that have worked really well for you all in terms of getting the two teams to mesh, uh, if it be, you know, certain, you know, daily standups or whatever it is, tools that you've used. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. One thing I would throw out there is um, we do OKRs as an organization. That's kind of what we use quarterly to set our goals. And I think it's really important to make sure everyone is involved in that process. Um, Because the way I think about it is like, the longer you wait to like create that collaboration, the harder it is. Um, Because, you know, there's just certain decisions that can get made very early um, when thinking about how we prioritize and what we focus on that just kind of carry out. So I think the more that you can bring a broader group into that, uh, like the OKR conversation and say, hey, as a team, what are the big picture objectives that we want to focus on this quarter? 
How do we want to tackle that? What are the big customer problems that really matter to us? And making sure that, yeah, product and engineering are really a part of that. Um, I think that's really helped us with more of that, like, alignment and collaboration. Nice. Mike, how about yourself? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking of, you know, with the um, the OKRs is is an important part, I think. Goals are great, right? Um, provided that we all agree, like these are the goals and we don't have too many of them and they're not at odds with each other. Cause I think sometimes goals can also create things going in, in different directions and, and not, um, um, not getting that shared alignment. I think that's one of the, I, we sort of skipped over this, but I think that's one of the most important parts of products job is, and, and Becky, feel free to correct me. I was only a product manager for a short period of time. Um, is sort of communicating these are the company's objectives this is what we're trying to accomplish this is the line in the sand if you're if the if you're the things that you think are important you know aren't above this line they're not going to get done and there's nothing wrong with that like we've all agreed as a company this is what our objectives are and i think that's one of the most important roles of product is being able to effectively communicate why something is being done or why something maybe isn't being done um, and and goals is like the the best medium mm-hmm. for being able to communicate that. Like, how does this thing that you want to get done align with the goal that we saw all said at the beginning of the quarter if we were going to work mm-hmm. on? Um, so I'm I'm curious if that's sort of because I, I, I think we sort of skipped that in terms of like one of the major roles of of product is really communicating. Yeah, that. I would agree, and I would add to that and say you know, two other things. One, I think. Uh, an important skill for anyone in product is the ability to say no in like a, you know, polite and diplomatic way. That's the stupidest uh, thing I've yeah. ever heard. Get out. <laughs> you know, and it's so hard. Like we're, you know, everybody is a, right. you're, we're all people pleasers. Um, mm-hmm. And you, no one wants to say no, right. but uh, it's a huge part of the job. And I think, but along with that, I think an important part of it is to your point, Frame it in the context of what the goals are. Like, does this really align um, and help us advance towards that goal? And two, just putting it in context. Like, I think it's very easy when you're evaluating an individual idea to be like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea or not. But there's lots of good ideas. And so you like that's the basics of prioritization is like, well, let's put all the good ideas together and then see like what's actually best. And I think. Sometimes a lot of people throughout the organization, whether it's like your engineering team or stakeholders or whoever, just don't have that context on like, what is the whole realm of things that we could do? And like, then think about the thing I want to do. And like, realistically, where does that fall? So I I think that's a big part of what product has to do is like, actually give that context on like, what else is up for consideration and therefore how high of a priority is mm. that request? Reminds me of a Steve Jobs quote, one of my favorites at, um, of, uh, I think it's something along the lines of looking back, I'm more proud of the things we decided not to do yeah. um, than the things we did yeah. do. Um, just because it is easy. There's lots of good ideas. Um, and it's really mm-hmm. easy to let that stuff get this, you know, get you distracted. Yeah. Johnny, how, how have your teams collaborated uh, between the product and engineering? Yeah, I mean, um, we can talk about tools and stuff, but I did want to sort of like hammer home. I think uh, what Becca was saying about context is is super important Um, because when you're setting goals, right, um, in addition to setting really good goals, you have to agree on the things that around which you want to set goals. So metrics are really important. Like what are you actually measuring? Right. 
before you can actually create goals around those. So that's especially for early stage startups. It's very easy to kind of go down the wrong road, just measuring the wrong thing and start building towards um, hitting goals for like the wrong metrics. And so that's super important in terms of, uh, you know, context and communication. We're big on asynchronous communication and not just really Slack, but like writing, right? Long form writing and setting that context. And the reason is because I think that as leaders, um, we're in context all the time. We're constantly talking about the context and the business and the market and what are users doing and whatnot. But, you know, when you get down to, you know, project folks and engineers, they're not necessarily in that context all the time. They're solving um, micro problems, you know, making, you know, tens of thousands of decisions every week. And, you know, they kind of lose that context. And so you have to constantly reinforce this and let people know why they're building the things that they're building. And that's much easier to scale if you have it written down somewhere. Um, One of the things I learned sort of like mid in my management career was that you know, when you're trying to convey context to folks, if you don't write it down, you're going to find yourself saying the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And that context will never set in until you find yourself sick of saying it. And then you have to say it three more times. And then maybe the team gets it at that point. And it's not because you're necessarily doing a bad job. It's because, you know, you do the big hurrah in the status meeting. Everybody goes out and build their stuff. 48 hours later, you know, they're not even thinking about, you know, the big speech you gave, right? You know, you're still patting yourself on the back for, you know, starting off the week, but you know, you're not even to Wednesday yet and everyone's forgotten about it, right? And so you have to constantly be able to reinforce that context in a scalable way. And so being able to write things down with the context uh, is super important because it gives people opportunity to digest that information in whatever way is most optimal for them. Some people will get it right when you say it and they'll be good to go. Some people need to go read it, reread it, think about it, sleep on it, Mm -hmm. drink some coffee. And then they'll be like, oh, I have a really good question. And they'll bring that one key piece of insight that's really going to help transform the way you make decisions moving forward. But they needed that time to really process that. And you want to make sure you, you know, um, have an environment where those folks, you know, have an opportunity to contribute. Then you bring that to the next meeting. That's one thing we always find too, is like, you know, yeah, we're yeah. going to have a, a meeting, we have an agenda, document everything. The next meeting, we're like, okay, well, let's look back at the, the show notes from the last meeting, right? So yeah. where, where did we last leave off? What did we say what was a good idea? What wasn't? Because if you don't yeah. document it, it's, it's floating around, it's gone. Yeah. Nice. Um, Again, just kind of being mindful of time, I guess. Any any specific um, closing notes uh, that we want to maybe touch on uh, for this specific discussion? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll hop first and then uh, and give our, our guests a chance to sort of think. But I think the the my one of the big takeaways for me or, or something I hadn't really thought about was the idea of, you know, not bad product managers, but rather just bad fits. And, you know, it's um, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good takeaway um, for me, at least, and and making sure, you know, Moving forward, you know, we always try and hire the right people. I, you know, I sort of sort of inherently know that, um, and and but sort of framing it that way was definitely uh, uh, eye opening, if you will. Mm. Well, epiphany moment. So that was good. Awesome. Yeah, I can jump in. I mean, the big thing for me was first feels like feels like we left a lot on the table. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Yeah, I, I feel like we really hit hard on like maybe two or three things. Yeah. But I mean, you know, kind of t- to Mike's point, you know, having, you know, the right fit. And the other thing that I've kind of learned um, is that, you know, this is not static. Right. There's a time dimension. Right. Someone who is a right fit. 
um, at the very beginning, early stages, you know, particularly engineering, like that mm-hmm. really talented full stack engineer who's not really an expert in anything, but can like do a bunch of stuff is going to be like your MVP, right? Until you get that fit and then bringing in more specialized folks is, is super important. So you may talk to that specialized person very early on. They're super excited about the mission. They really want to come on board, but you have to tell that person no simply because it's just not the right time. Um, and so that could be very difficult as well. So that's something to kind of really take away with people. And so um, that's like a very hard thing to do because you want people who are aligned with your mission and, you know, are really believing the same things that you are in terms of, you know, your values and whatnot, but it just may not be the right time for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add, um, you know, I think a lot of what we've discussed is um, kind of the like soft skills that make somebody a good fit, um, your level of self-awareness and things like that. The other uh, piece of that, I think, is just looking for people that have genuine empathy for their colleagues. I think to me, that's the most important thing between a product and engineering relationship is like, if a product person doesn't really understand the challenges that come with an engineering role and like the the biggest thing that gets me sometimes is like having a, a lack of appreciation for how hard it is to estimate how long it takes to do things, which is silly because you think about it like if you asked me to estimate how long it takes me to do anything, it would be wildly inaccurate, right? So why do we look look at engineers and say like, well, this took more time than you expected? Like, of course it did. Um, And so I think it's just like that perspective of, of really trying to understand like, what are the things that make an engineering role hard within this organization? And what are the things that make a product role hard? Um, and I think if you can kind of remind yourself of those things, it creates just a much closer working relationship between those two functions um, and just greater alignment towards you know, whatever bigger picture goal you're working on, um, because it, it comes from a place of, of understanding. I think on yeah. that alignment piece, I think that's an important part. And you sort of hinted at it, which is making sure there's also alignment between what is it that we as a product development organization like what are some of the metrics or whatever that we want to prioritize, not from a goals perspective in terms of the product itself, but how we operate. Do we prefer speed or do we prefer predictability? Mm-hmm. Because we can be super, we, back to your estimate point, like I can give you great, I, I can give you very precise estimates if I'm given enough time to do all the research to figure out where all the gotchas are going to be, right? It's basically the halting problem. And by the time I'm done, I'm basically, by the time I'm done estimating, I've basically solved the problem. And now I can tell you, yeah, it's going to take me, you know, whatever. Um, but that's a very slow, but predictable. And maybe that's what the organization needs, but maybe sometimes it's more about speed. And I think that's making sure there's alignment. There is an important part between product and engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well said. I, I think it's unique too that uh, we're getting some perspectives. I think a lot of a lot of what we're hearing is like from an early stage perspective. I'd be really interested in a, a follow up episode to get somebody who's you know doing product at like Series D, you know, and beyond, and see see what kind of perspectives they have. Um, but yeah. all in all, this yeah, we could talk for hours about this and. <laughs> Um, let's kind of put a bow on it on this, at this segment and jump into, uh, this next segment here. So, uh, we call this round out my career. It's a fun session where we have, you know, this very colorful community wheel behind me. 
Uh, it has topics and questions that are crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. Uh, and these are topics that can range anywhere from compensation to diversity uh, and will be chosen randomly as the wheel spins. We do have a, a prize section here if we're lucky enough that it, if it lands on it, that one uh, lucky member of the community will receive a free Raspberry Pi. Um, so we'll go ahead and spin the wheel, see what we come up with. Uh, communication. This is actually very relevant to uh, the topic here. <laughs> I was covering this. Okay, so let's see here. So I guess just yeah, it's kind of general, but um, you know, communicating when uh, you know asking for and receiving feedback. You know, any specific tips that you have found helpful. Uh, when you're kind of going through this form of communication with asking for and receiving feedback. Um, Johnny, if you want to tell me about some of your specific examples. Yeah, I mean, one of so we have a set of engineering tenets uh, internally and the things that sort of like we value on the team in order to be able to work really well and effective together. And one of those things is sort of like very candid feedback, right? Um, you know, obviously, respect with everything you know you want obviously want to respect your your colleagues but i find not much value in sort of like sugarcoating too much because you know people receive feedback very different ways and some people will you know unfortunately go out of their way not to receive uh critical feedback but and that's very easy to avoid cognitively if you know it's sugarcoated too much so i think being very honest with each other is probably the best way it can be a bit uncomfortable in the beginning but that's only until you actually build a relationship with the person communicating that feedback and once that um is established itself it's much easier to do and I think that as a team, we definitely value that, right? Because it allows us to kind of move much more quickly, right? I don't have to wonder what you think. You know, you don't have to wonder what I think. We're very sort of like honest with each other. And it allows us to kind of move forward amply in a way that allows us to be much more productive. So I'd say communications should be like pretty candid, always respectful, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that that's kind of what, what my advice would be. Nice. Becca, how about yourself? Yeah, I think... Candid is exactly right. The other uh, word I would add is like uh, consistent or continual, right? Like, uh, I think it's really important. There's kind of this old school mindset around like, oh, you know, we wait for a annual performance review to give feedback and like that doesn't benefit anyone. So one thing that we have done that I think has really helped us is in our one-on-ones that we do um, that's just like a standard agenda item is this mutual feedback. So I'm giving feedback to my direct reports and they're giving feedback to me. And I think part of what makes that great one is that you just, you know, it doesn't have to be a production, right? It's just, Hey, this is what we do every week when we meet for our one-on-ones and it really normalizes it. Um, and I think it, it makes folks really comfortable with the idea. Um, and it, making it mutual, I think, is really important too, right? Because it can't just always be, hey, your manager kind of top down giving feedback. I think it's really important that that flows both ways. Um, 
So yeah, that's something that we've done. I think that's really helped because um, it's kind of a, a muscle that I think people have to build and don't often have opportunities to do it. Um, so yeah, that's worked really well for us. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally concur with the, the mutual because the fact is everybody can get better. Everybody can learn um, and everybody's mm-hmm. growing in their job, in their role. If you're managing, you have to be able to learn from the people you manage on how to manage them better or what you're doing, yeah. what's working for them. Um, I think it also, it doesn't just, not just from the growth perspective, which is the obvious benefit to yourself, but also on the being able to show, look, this is how one receives and provides critical feedback makes it Mm -hmm. much easier for the other person to receive and and give critical feedback. And I think that that's a really important aspect. And I think um, it's something that I always, my one-on-ones, a number of years ago, I started a very formal one-on-one and that was my first agenda item is, uh, any feedback they have for me, any feedback I have for them, I always like to let the other person go first. I totally agree. Um, and I think the other part to uh, Johnny's point of like the candid, I think one of the things that really helps with candid feedback is establishing a rapport between people. Like it's it's really easy to like not like someone or be upset with someone if you don't really know them. But as you get to know someone, and and I think that's an important part of that one-on-one and that feedback is just getting to know people and knowing like, Hey, you know, generally speaking, people aren't malicious. Um, And so, um, and so just having that, that basic understanding of who they are, where they're coming from a little bit of background, what else is going on in their life. Um, gives you that empathy, gives you more, more insight. And then it just makes it easier to have those conversations because it's just one of, um, one of many conversations as opposed to, Oh, now I'm going to go into the principal's office and hear how I screwed up this week. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, so I think those are all important parts. Yeah. That two way feedback, uh, Becky, you said you guys do uh, weekly Mm one-on-ones. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I think when you're that small, it's super, it's super effective. Um, like w- right now, I think we, we do weekly one-on-ones that are a little bit more of like just casual of like task focused, and then we'll do monthly and then we'll have like more of like quarterly or semi-annual, like bigger one-on-ones. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting too, is yeah, on the candid front, I think that's, I, there's definitely value there. There's also value to confidential. Uh, uh, for example, we just we we finally got to a size where we're big enough where we can do like company surveys. But mm-hmm. you know, it's confidential, but it's not like mm-hmm. you kind of know who's who said it. Um, and so we started to do them, and I think that it's interesting, and it has pros and cons because you know you've got you know uh, job satisfaction, or you think the the the, the vision is is clearly communicated to you. How would you rate this or that? And you maybe see like one that's just like a little bit of an outlier, but you don't know who it's from. And so we were like, well, how do we troubleshoot this? And so I think we're, we make it very clear now, of you know, if you chose, you know, six or below out of one through 10, um, are you willing to, you know, suggest, give us some suggestions or, or recommend some, some advice. And then separately, there's just an ongoing kind of like a suggestion box um, that you can throw at any time if you have an idea or if you think something could be done better. And I'm very clear too, whenever we do like all hands, uh, we do like a monthly all hands of just kind of like being vulnerable. And and like, I, I, this is my first time too, like leading a team of this size or growing a company to this point, this is all still uncharted territory. And so I will take any feedback you've got, like, 
you know, I'm not going to put a, a shield up and say like, well, no, I think you're wrong. I do do it the right way. Um, so I, I try to, I try to make myself vulnerable and, and they seem to, my team tends to relate to that of like, mm-hmm. okay, he's, he's kind of put his guard down. Like he's not pretending like he does know everything. So I think yeah. it's really important. Like, I think everything that we've described involves creating a safe place, creating mm-hmm. a safe place for that feedback. And mm-hmm. it sounds simple, right? Like, but it's more than just like, oh, hey, you know, you won't get fired for saying critical things. Like it's going beyond that and really encouraging it and making mm-hmm. sure that people feel like, um, you know, that's what the organization wants and that's what will make us all better. Um, but it's you know, easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks for, for hanging out with us, Johnny, Becca. I think your perspective has been super helpful on this whole product meets engineering concept. I'm sure we'll have many follow-ups to come. Um, but, uh, you know, just for the listeners out there, is there anywhere specific that our audience can find you on social? Johnny, I'll start with you. Yeah, you can always find me on uh, Twitter at Recursive Funk. That's Funk with the K or my website is uh, RecursiveFunk.io. Cool. Becca? I, I'm just on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can find me, Rebecca Moran, on LinkedIn. The, the smart way to go. There you go. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.